The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Everybody and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. I am Emma Hurd, your host for today's show. I hope everyone out there listening is enjoying with a hot beverage in bed. <laughs> Later in the show, we'll be chatting about plants that our guests have brought in, as well as travel and all things gardening. So let's wander down the garden path together and now introduce today's guests. I have the pleasure of introducing returning guest Craig Wilson who's a reputable plant specialist from Gentiana Nursery in Alinda, as well as a fantastic landscape gardener. Welcome, Craig. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. We've also got the wonderful Jack Semler with us, horticulturalist, author and educator. She's back from some travel with plenty to talk about. Oh, hey, Emma. Great to be in. Yay. Thanks for coming in. And lucky listeners, we have three guests today. Jeremy Francis is here, plant expert and garden expert from Edwardian Arts and Crafts Garden, Cloud Hill in Alinda. Welcome, Jeremy. Good morning, everyone. Uh, hi, Emma. Hello. Thanks for coming in. Oh, there was a little bit of a battle coming down the hill, I oh, must yeah. admit, but uh, no, nice to be here. Which nice road do you take? Well, I come down the mountain highway. Yeah, I was me sort too. of yeah, dodging all the bicyclists. Yeah, there were a lot of cyclists <laughs> this morning. I'm always quite impressed by their eagerness. Their eagerness and their very bright headlights. Yes, yes. to ride up in the dark. Yes, you're dazzled by these bicycles as they they pedal slowly up the mountain. (laughs) Some of them were three abreast this morning. Uh, That's breaking the rules. Technically, but, you know, it's it's pretty quiet. Well, I didn't encounter any, not not on the tourist road. There you go, must have just been specific timing. Yeah, it's it's a wild ride up in the hills. Got all, no, all it's, the it's all good fun. Yeah. Well, what have you brought in this morning? Anything interesting? Well, I've brought in a stack of books. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, one of uh, one of them. Yes, they, they sort of. Uh, they're, they're all by Rika Erickson, who's a very interesting lady uh, who died only a few years ago, and I think she made it through to uh, over a hundred. Um, but but uh, so some of these books go back to the 1950s, and, mm. and one of them was only about ten or twelve years old. Um, yes, yeah, so, um, she lived in Western Australia, on the eastern edge of what they call the Victoria Plains, and we were farming on the western edge of the Victoria Plains. Yeah. And I was going to a little bush school called Chillingara, 
with about 15 students and a library which consisted of about six books. And one of them was Trigger Plants by Rika Erickson. Brilliant. <laughs> so it, it's a, quite a sentimental read, I imagine. Yeah, so it's just a, it's one of my strong memories as a 10-year-old working my way through this library over a year or two and then and coming to trigger plants and finding most of it was in Latin. I've just been really <laughs> furious. <laughs> and then I managed to actually get a copy only recently. And, of course, it's a seminal book. And, mm. of course, the reason why it was in the library is because um, she was in this, the same shire. And, of course, all the schools ended up with a copy of her book when it was published in about around about 1960 or so. That's a lovely but, resource to find yep. in your school library. Yes, but... Mm. Uh, so she was a naturalist, an old-fashioned naturalist, an amateur naturalist who was um, living on a farm um, just north of the um, Avon Valley, so to Jane Northam, Beverly, York, Beverly, that area there, which was the first area, first agricultural area settled in Western Australia in the uh, oh, about three or four years after uh, the. The first ships arrived in 1829, so it was settled in the early 30s. Mm. Um, and um, so, so the Trigger Plants book was uh, one of her first books. And, and then, are these are many of these plants in cultivation, or are uh, they mostly just found in the wild? Know, I, I, I suspect not many. Mm. It's a it's a huge family. Yeah. It's a very intricate family. They're tiny plants. They, they all have their uh, growing requirements. Yeah. And uh, once you're out of Western Australia, they're most probably pretty well impossible for most people to yeah. grow. But it makes But there them... are trigger plants right through Australia, of course. But, yes. uh, but there's, a, there's a hot spot uh, right across the southwest of Western Australia. And it makes them quite like hidden little gems that yep. are quite yep. wonderful to come across in the wild. Yeah, tiny little things which are for children just amazing because, yes, they are trigger plants yeah. after all. <laughs> I'd imagine some of them would be vulnerable too. Ah, uh, yes. Well, um, uh, well, so much of the southwest sadly was, uh, far too much of it was cleared. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because yeah. you mentioned it was one of the first agricultural areas. Yes. So I imagine... Because of the clearing, yeah, um, yeah, they, they, there's very the, few agricultural soils in Western Australia, and, and, and one of the areas is the uh, the Avon Valley, and of course uh, uh, runs into the Swan River. So the Swan and the Avon are actually the same river, um, and so the, 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 there's silt soils each side of the river in that valley system, mm. um, and for the uh, you know, the first few years of the colony, you know, the people desperately trying to find land they could grow crops on there mm. around Perth of course it's all sand dunes the coastal strip is sand and then you've got the Darling Escarpment and that that's pretty infertile mm. um, and and there were several years to discover the Evan Valley and wacko some soils we could actually work with mm. and of course those those, those areas the, the richer soils there's only a few strips of them uh, were all heavily um, fire stick cultivated mm-hmm. by the Noongars. And so they were parkland cleared. And so they didn't need clearing. Uh, there was just the occasional tree with with grass between. 
And so not only did you have good soils, but you didn't have to do any work to set up a farm. So uh, <laughs> that sounds familiar. So they took advantage. <laughs> it, it was something that happened in many parts of Australia, but in, in WA, there's you know, the, the, uh, if you look at the entire Southwest Land Division, most probably there's only about ten percent uh, okay. that uh, would be uh, in this classification, maybe mm. less. And so. When you go to Western Australia, where is the place you go to find trigger plants? <laughs> Since well, there's well, not much. Well, around the Chilangara schools is as good as anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> they okay. were quite thick. Yeah. <laughs> we're growing quite a few trigger plants in my nature strip at the moment. So there's, you know, you can get trigger plants from a oh, lot good, of our indigenous good. nurseries, yep. oh, and that yeah. that function that they have when they when they trigger is is fascinating. I think it really brings out that childlike joy you can mm. have with plants. I imagine places like Vink. Would yes, have them. Vink, Vink, any uh, local indigenous nursery that you might come, they often yeah. stock them and they're oh, good, a great good. little thing to grow. Yep. Yeah, even the Dandenong Ranges um, indigenous nursery, I think, would have some. Yes, yeah, and, and of course, uh, as I was saying, they, uh, there are species right throughout, uh, well, it's on half of Australia at least. I don't know how what yeah. happens in the tropics. But, um, yes, uh, the, uh, it's, it's the West Australian ones which are you know, going to be trickier. So where did you track down this book? Um, I think it was Gil Teague when he had Thorolegium on the go and sadly that, that, that business is closed. Yeah. So it's much harder to find these things now. Well, sometimes the Royal Botanic Gardens have a second-hand book sale, so I, I imagine maybe you could pick it up there and... But I, I don't imagine it's in print anymore. Yeah, they, they, I've got three of her books all together. The, mm. uh, the second one was the Victoria Plains, which is commissioned by the um, the council uh, simply to be a history of the, the Victoria Plains. Mm. And in there she talks a little bit about the Drummonds, about James Drummond. Okay. Um, uh, extraordinary botanist. Uh, who was one of the well? Was his family literally arrived with the Parmelia? So literally, he uh, he was with the uh, the first settlers, um, and he lived near Tujay. But that that's just in passing. Most of it's on the Victoria Plains, which which, which as I mentioned, is where we were farming. But still good to whet your appetite yeah, with a bit of so, historical context. Mm. Yes, my my father was a councillor on the on the, <laughs> on, the on the Shire, yeah. so so he was handed a copy uh, courtesy of Peter councillors, which was sitting in the family library for many years. I just ignored it and then picked it up a few years ago and thought, oh, wow, this is interesting, mainly because of the references to the Drummonds. And then just recently, uh, just literally a few weeks ago, I managed to get hold of something called, a book called The Drummonds of Hawthorne, which is a very obscure book, but it was actually about this family and about James Drummond in particular, this botanist, who everyone should know about. (laughs) Because... Uh, apart from anything else, uh, well, he arrived with the uh, in Western Australia with the Parmelia uh, in 1829, uh, but he was in correspondence with the Hookers, both Hookers, uh, who uh, were the directors of Kew Gardens in London. Mm-hmm. And what you have to remember is that Kew Gardens in the 1830s was a, it was an uh, almighty mess <laughs> to the point. That there was a move to 
to pull out all the trees and plant fruit trees, turn it into an orchard, a royal orchard to keep the royal family in apples, God knows. Hard to imagine these days. (laughs) (laughs) And at the last moment, someone actually in the royal family, I can't remember who, some important personage said, no, 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 we'll keep it as a garden. And they appointed... um, um, now, I'm just not going to get their Christian names right, but uh, the father hooker and then later the son hooker. Now, Drummond was friends with both of those. In the, uh, although he possibly didn't meet them, he was writing to them all the time for many, many years. Um, and um, I, I might add that he, they were friends with Charles Darwin and, and there was a correspondence uh, between um, Drummond, James Drummond and Charles Darwin. No less. And so, does this book detail yeah, some of that correspondence? Yeah, it does. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, so, but it's much more than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, Charles Darwin is particularly interested in in Leishmaniasis. Oh, fabulous! Yeah, he's uh, the flower structure. The Leishmaniasia was one of his many, many of, <laughs> of his thousands of interests. That was one. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> so Drummond was bringing him up to date with Leishmaniasis. Well, that sounds like a fantastic book. What is its title? The Drummonds of Hawthornden, okay. uh, which is the family farm. But if you know your English poets, there was a Drummond of Hawthornden who was a famous poet as well. <laughs> so a Scottish family. Well, we might have to take a photo of these books and put them yep. up on the Instagram because yep. they sound like wonderful texts. Um, Drummond, I, I could talk for hours on him. Yeah, <laughs> you I can, can make imagine. a movie. You can make several movies on his life because, um, uh, 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 as I said, well, he was collecting plants from right throughout the southwest at a time when there were virtually no Europeans. Mm. He started off um, putting together teams of quite often his sons and also. Um, the family became quite friendly with the local Aboriginal community, the uh, Noongars of that part of Western Australia. They, uh, the Drummonds quickly picked up the language. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, after a while, he, he went on about 12, 15 expeditions, and there's not much of the southwest he didn't cover. And by the end of it, he, was, uh, he would just head off himself uh, with a pack horse and uh, some completely unexplored area the way he would go and one of the early explorers I think it was Ayres who he was he was trudging across the continent uh, actually acro- came across uh, horse footprints uh, hoof prints <laughs> was he, what on earth is, are these things doing here uh, there's no Europeans for, for a week's travel around Oh, I wonder whether it might be Drummond. <laughs> sure enough, it was. Who'd, who'd, and they actually met up a few days later. <laughs> uh, yeah, Drummond was just very quick off the mark. And as I said, literally there are thousands of his botanical um, specimens in both Kew Gardens and the Melbourne Botanic mm-hmm. Gardens. And then, in fact, the herbarium, the, the, the Melbourne Botanic yeah. Gardens, it, it, it was... Um, uh, Drummond's collection forms the basis of that collection. Yeah, and yeah. what an incredible foundation yeah. he's mm. created for us. Yeah, and there was a, a relationship with the Aboriginal people, which was particularly interesting. Mm. Yeah. And that that's another story and quite complicated. Yeah, I can mm. imagine. Yep. But, yeah, thank you for bringing those in. They sound like wonderful books. Thank you. <laughs> 
Well, I might just move on to some community announcements and then we can uh, keep chatting. So um, coming up, the Cranbourne Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens in Victoria, Inc. is having a plant sale. And the dates are Saturday the 22nd and Sunday the 23rd of July. The time is from 10am till 4pm on both days and the location is the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria in Cranbourne, which is the corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne. So the plant sale will be held at the northern end of the Australian Garden. Parking and entry is available nearby and look for the large red banners. Um, a large variety of Australian native plants will be available, which is exciting. Um, and I think some of the sort of care for the rare specimens will be in the mix, which is also exciting. Um, a plant list is available on their website. So uh, Google Cranbourne Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens and you'll find it on their website. And that's um, a week before the sale. So it should be up now. Uh, FPOS is available and it's a great opportunity to purchase plants and look around the Australian Garden. Uh, coming up also next weekend on the 8th of July is Encouraging Women in Horticulture's Native Bush Food and Medicine Workshop. It's kindly delivered by Sonia from Dance of the Plants and it's running from 10am till 12pm at the Selby Community House. And this event can be booked via EWHA's website which is www.ewha.com.au and click on Upcoming Events. A third event is uh, the Giants Movie Night with Global Gardens of Peace. So join them for a sublime winter evening with canapes, hot roasted chestnuts and mulled wine. That sounds nice, doesn't it, guys? Mm. Um, the Giants is a documentary that explores the intertwined fates of trees and humans in this poetic portrait of environmentalist Bob Brown and the forest. Told in Bob's own words, his story is interwoven with the extraordinary life cycle of Australia's giant trees, brought to the screen with stunning cinematography and immersive animated forest landscape. Your generous support of Global Gardens of Peace will help them continue to build gardens for disadvantaged communities. So this event is taking place on Wednesday the 26th of July from 5.30 till 8.30pm. And that's going to take place at the Burnley campus in the main hall. So that's at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Um, Non-member priced tickets are $40. And the price includes a drink and light refreshments. If you are a member, then you can book for a discounted ticket and there is a code required. Um, I don't have this code, but if you missed the winter newsletter, then you can email inquiries at globalgardensofpeace.org to receive the code if you're a member. And if you're not a member and you would just like to book, you can book at events.humanitics.com forward slash the Giants Movie Night. Finally, we've got two exciting new landscapes which have opened in the last month. And, and the first one just last week. So Philip Johnson's Chelsea Garden is now open to the public at the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Gardens in Alinda. And I think Jeremy's got something to say. Well, I was there for the ribbon cutting. Yeah, so you were there with the minister. <laughs> with my umbrella. And uh, yes, it was a rainy day. That was yes, Thursday, wasn't it? Yes. And tell us, how was it? 
quite impressive. Quite yeah. impressive. Um, uh, I, I don't I, imagine I, I, you I, wanted to go for a swim. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the the day itself. Yes, the the. Um, um, Everyone arrived from Spring Street very late and they left very early uh, because, unfortunately, the weather over the last few days has been absolutely consistently difficult. Yeah. But um, but it was it was kind of interesting to see it on the Thursday. Um, Thursday afternoon, they, they opened that um, just after lunch mm. and... Uh, very misty and murky and silvery and, and intriguing. And as long as you had a good umbrella, it was fine, yeah. and, and a jacket. Um, but the, the, the garden itself, um, it's, it's actually uh, it was completed some little while ago. Yes, um, back in September. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah it was yeah, back in the spring. I um, think the it, main thing that the, it needed was, a, was an entry access path. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yep. which is now done. Yep. Um, it's it's an extrapolation of the Chelsea Garden, I suppose I would put it, rather than a, the Chelsea Garden. Um, it's a lot bigger. It, it's a lot bigger. Um, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a display garden by any means. It's no, really... no. It's quite – and as a piece of, of Philip Johnson landscaping, I think it's spectacular. Yeah. It's um, really in – like embedded. Yeah, it, and... it's, 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 it kind of makes sense where it is. Um, it's it's very heavily planted, and and the I suppose the the intriguing thing about it, the arrangement is that uh, Philip maintains it for ten years, mm-hmm. which is um, something which is happening a bit around the the traps now with some of these new developments. Um, but um, I, I haven't heard it in in these circumstances before. But it's absolutely a requirement. Uh, it, it makes perfect sense. Well, Parks Victoria have a huge portfolio and when they probably uh, negotiated the use of the land or the dedication of the land mm. to it, it was probably a fundamental yeah, thing it to kind think of, about. It, it kind of makes sense on that level, but it, much more than that, it makes sense on the level of um, you do have a substantial area, heavily planted, mm, the <laughs> and, and that, that's going to change. Yes. And so you need someone with a hand, with, you need the creator of the garden with a hand on the tiller uh, because over five and ten years mm. uh, it, 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 it takes that long for the garden to bed down, quite yeah. literally. And the expertise that's required yep. really is yep. quite important. Yeah. So he can decide just uh, as things uh, work and as other things don't work, he can decide. Yeah. Um, the, the, as I was saying, the, the, the structure of the garden is... is, is um, is pretty handsome and yes. very worthwhile driving up to the hills and having a look. <laughs> yes, I don't, I don't anticipate I will be visiting on a weekend because I'm fortunate <laughs> to live close by, so I think I'll have to make time in my lunch break to go see it during the mm. week because I expect it to be quite inundated in the coming months. <laughs> yes, yes, as the, um, and, and, and I guess... That was the logic of opening it right now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I think this summer's going to be a really wild yep, time up yeah. in Olinda. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, it's, it's an, an exciting project to see. Yeah, it's really wonderful to see it come to fruition because I know that Phil and his team, his whole team, have worked so hard to make it happen and, and Tex at, at the gardens. So, yes. You know, like you know so many people have had a hand yeah. in creating this magical place. Yeah, no, I'd say, I, I, I suppose my only thought now is it would be great if, if more resources could be put into all the gardens. Mm. 
um, mm. to to make more of what is an important collection of, mm. of rhododendrons. So, I mean, it's it's. Uh, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> there was a survey done into them twenty years ago um, by people from. Uh, dare I say, kind of expecting there'd be lots of hybrids and lots of repetition. In fact, they discovered uh, it fundamentally it's an important collection of of species, and some of them very, very rare, and some of them pretty well extinct in the wild. Mm. And what it is is uh, is an amazing legacy uh, of the work of a number of enthusiasts from um, thirty, forty years ago. The yeah. the, uh, the that that that. Uh, that period in which there was a, a bit of a craze for rhododendrons, I suppose, and mm. and half a dozen people putting a huge amount of effort into putting that collection together and setting up those gardens in the first place. Yeah. And there they are. They, they deserve a lot of support. Yeah, mm. and that's, that's something really important is to, as we progress to new components of the garden, to carry the rest of the garden along with it and, yes. and keep, yep. you know, keep it thriving. Yeah, it deserves... Much more support. Yeah, mm. yeah, and you can financial you can... support and 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 uh, uh, apart from just people going along to see it. And the the way to do that, I would suggest, is to um, engage with the the Rhododendron Society, which uh, has their offices in the botanic gardens there. And I think if you become a member, that money goes to support, you know, the gardens. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, I, of course, the, the Phil Johnson's garden uh, to one side is uh, area set aside for the Cloud Forest Garden. Yeah, which I which worked I've, on. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and my, well, the, the the plants are in the nursery, not in the ground yet. Yeah, it's well. I have some exciting news about that. In that, uh, it will proceed. So there was some time where it well, was looking a little bit like it might not but we're working through the issues okay. and it's going to happen. This is Brilliant. the North Queensland. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Tex has talked about it quite a bit on yes. the show. Um, and, yeah, there were some, some issues and now they've been resolved and we're working through them. And, yeah, it's very Have exciting. Have you any idea how many plants are involved? Um, a lot. Uh, hundreds. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I know the ARS has been propagating like crazy with the yeah. um, the Australian rhododendrons. Yes. I think three or four different species. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. Is and, and really that, good. And that's my understanding is where it all began with the tracking down the Australian rhododendrons, the exactly. Australian yeah, rhododendrons, the and and trying to uh, um, well for genetic. Uh, Diversity, yeah. biodiversity, yeah, in that uh, there's what two species, but of course there's going to be there's variation also. within those species, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and there's a so, lot of other so, plants. Yeah, so so one or two teams were, were tracking those down and and uh, tracking those plants down, and then thinking there's all these other plants as well. Yeah, <laughs> and so there's some Eucryphia wilkii and quite a variety of different alpine plants that will you know yeah. far north Queensland, oh, yeah. fabulous that are going to be in there. Mm. And we're we're working through um, details of the rockeries at the moment, so that they should be quite stunning. So, how much space do you think they will occupy? Will they, will they be a, a single collection, or will they be scattered through throughout the gardens? They're they're planned to be in one space, a single collection. Right. Yeah. And yeah, because okay. they're a conservation collection, they want yeah. to keep them in yeah. one that, space. That, that, that makes so that, sense. Yeah. yeah, so they can be properly cared for. Yeah, yeah. 
that? So it's only North Queensland, is it? Um, I think there's a blend of things mm. that are also from local areas mm-hmm. too, but the emphasis is on the plants from from far yeah. north Queensland. So it's going to be exciting. They might need a little bit more of the old golf course, is my thought. <laughs> yeah, potentially. I mean, there's always opportunity for it to expand. I think um, budgetary um, reasons will keep it to the size it is at the moment. Yes. Um, but, yeah, never say never in terms of the future. Yeah. Have to appeal to the... the. Um, it's the <laughs> council that own the golf course now, I think. Uh, I would have thought Parks Vic, but... Um, yeah, I think some of it... The it, portion it, that it, they it's, have it's was a, it's donated. A, it's a very confusing yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah. We won't uh, get into that. No, but, no, but no, I'm don't, sure don't. There's... Yeah. I'm sure in the future some more land could be dedicated yeah. to it. It would be something the community would be wholeheartedly mm. supporting, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, the other um, landscape that opened recently is the Woodlands Nature Play Space, um, situated at the Royal Botanic Gardens Cranbourne, and that's within the Woodlands Conservation Zone. So that's an exciting project that I also got to work on with Andrea Proctor Landscapes and I was very excited when I saw the press release come through into the 3CR email box uh, this week and yeah that's a good one for families. You can have a barbecue there and it's just a beautiful space. There's opportunity to see so much wildlife. I don't know if you've been recently but you can see bandicoots and and wallabies and wombats and, yeah, it's just wonderful. So it's indigenous woodland, is it? It's actually a nature play space. Mm -hmm. So it is in a conservation indigenous area Mm. um, and you can go for a beautiful, from the car park, it's a gorgeous walk through the conservation zone and then you reach the nature play space and you can continue walking through. So it's, Mm. it's a beautiful opportunity to connect. That planned sale at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens is, I think, one of my favourites as yeah. a local and it's such a great opportunity to go and get some of those beautiful plants and then check out that gorgeous play space at yeah. the same time. Yeah, I think I know what be. I'm doing that weekend. Yeah. Yes, I highly recommend it. Well, that's everything for community announcements. The last thing I will touch on is that we do have a number of products left over from Radiothon last week. So did you guys tune in at all? <laughs> yes, no. from the garden. It was quite yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the team did an amazing job. Um, but I will continue on their efforts. So um, we've got a number of products and you can call in. What I will do is I'll open up the phone lines just before I start talking about the products. So our phone number here is 94190155 or you can text in on 04888098855 and I'll start listing some products. So we've got a bunch of things from Amgrow. We've got citrus and fruit granular fertilizer, 2.5 kilos, rose granular fertilizer, uh, fruit and flower fertilizer, and Plant Starter, and they're all $10 each. Um, They're pick-up only, and you should call now if you'd like some. Um, We've got some selected plants from Dye's Delightful Plants, 
and they are $10 each. I'm sorry, I don't have the exact details of which plants they are, um, but if you call in and chat with our lovely producers, I'm sure they'll be able to go out into the courtyard and let you know what's there. Um, we've got some, we've got some Davidoff Cool Water Perfume and Shower Gel and Body Lotion. That's an odd one for the gardening show, but mm -hmm. there it is. That's $50, and that is pickup or $10 for postage. We've got some Freshwater Farm Tea Tree Oil, and that's $15. So we've got quite a lot of things. What I would suggest is, rather than me continuing to read all of these things out, is if you have any interest in these items... We've also got treasured perennials. They've got some beautiful plants and um, a worm factory. So if you're interested in any of these items, please call in and have a chat to our lovely producers because they'll be able to give you more details of the items. Um, we've also got some gift vouchers. So there's, there's quite an array of things available. So please do call in. And other than that, call in to talk to us because we want to chat with you. <laughs> so let's, let's roll on. And, and have a chat about some things. Craig, what have you brought in? So many things. <laughs> Just following on from Jeremy's native plants, I've been growing Murnong for quite a few years oh. now. And have you managed to harvest any? No, I haven't because I don't think I have enough. Okay. I, yeah. I, I don't know how much you need yeah. in order to dig it. But it's an interesting thing to grow and it's, certainly it's flourishing and it's self-seeding. Oh, well, that's, a, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, it likes the uh, the litter from the chook chook pen. That's good. And, and whereabouts likes, have you got it? Somewhere sunny. Full sun. Yeah. And it likes wood ash. Oh, that's a good tip yeah. as well. Yeah. And yeah, fundamentally easy. You know, it's in a plant which became extinct very quickly mm. after European settlement. Apparently, the Western Plains it was growing from from Werribee all the way down to Warrnambool, like yeah. a vast, vast. Um, well, do you know you're one of the only people I've heard say that it's relatively easy. So tell us everything. <laughs> Wood ash. I've got it in raised, well, slightly raised beds. Mm -hmm. um, Wood ash, tailings from the, from the, uh, from the chook house, mm -hmm. potting mix, spent potting mix. So it's a fairly rich brew that yeah. it's growing in. Um, but, yeah, no difficulty at all. It loves potting mix. Yeah. I have a big pot of it as well, and it loves potting mix, flourishes, it loves to be fed. And any particular brand of potting mix or...? I, I use my own mix from BioGrow, so sure. they make it for me. It's very free-draining. Yeah. yeah. And does that have any, like, Osmocrete or Greenback? Not or that I no? know of. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I provide the fertiliser. Yeah. I understand. You need to be harvesting this for you to figure this out, I suppose, Craig. But I understand that when you're harvesting it, it is possible to replant it. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So that uh, it's one of those things that lent itself to. Uh, uh, there isn't a technical term for this, and it's, it's something escapes me. But um, that um, well, harvesting pressures, you know, selection pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Because the obviously, uh, yeah. yeah it's, uh, if, if, People over the thousands of years harvesting Murnong, um, um, the the um, the, the um, tuber can be snapped off, and the, the, the growing yeah. the growing section of the plant uh, great, the, 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 um, replanted, and, and obviously the tuber was 
pretty uninteresting. <laughs> it wouldn't be replanted. Uh, whereas anything that was um, looked particularly promising was replanted very carefully. So there was uh, all sorts of things which were. I mean, it's uh, there's there's going to be. Um, uh, Bruce Pascoe is is going to have his program uh, on the ABC. Uh, I just can't think when it is, but very shortly. Yeah, that's going to uh, be great to tune yeah, in. Yeah, but 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 there's yeah. Yeah, but there's a whole series of plants, and Murnong is a is a spectacular one. Uh, there's the warram yams in Western Australia that that could be harvested and replanted uh, as they were harvested, mm. and. Um, and so there was strong, strong selection pressure going on for, mm-hmm. when you think of the period of time, it's 2,000 generations. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, my, it's an unearthly amount of time. My feeling, and this is completely unsubstantiated, is that it's a plant which has evolved for cultivation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember, I was talking to Roger Elliott about this uh, like two or three years ago, and he was saying, yes, the genetic... Uh, the biodiversity of Murnong is uh, is is extraordinary mm-hmm. you know, for this reason. Certainly, for me, it's been no challenge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. yeah and, and and if you collect the seed and raise it, I mean, it, it is a matter of days. Brilliant. The germinates. Yeah, yeah great. Really That's quick. very encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. The, the problem with it was that uh, uh, well, people thought it's tasty, but. Sheep thought it was even tastier. Mm. <laughs> and, of course, sheep are so good at nibbling right down to the ground and mm. wiping something out. Uh, I think they were actually digging the tubers out yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, which is what they did for us. And we, we grew subterranean clover and, and literally they would need to dig to get at the clover burst, which would be underground. Mm. You know, the, 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 flowers, the flower would form on subterranean clover and then they um, and then would loop down to the surface of the soil and and as the clover burr uh, developed it would actually pull itself underground and the sheep to get at the clover burrs which they they kept them going during the summer actually had to dig mm. and so the um, uh, the clover paddocks were just pockmarked everywhere with these holes where the sheep have been digging. So they'll yeah. do that without any fuss. And but so also, poor old Murnong didn't stand a chance. Also, I mean, if you, if you think about this plant as something which was cultivated for an unimaginable period of time. Yeah, 2,000 generations, 2,000 lifetimes. Suddenly that, that, that cultivation stops and, and yeah. the, 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 the Western Plains start getting covered in forests. And, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. didn't stand a chance. No, no. Very sad. Yeah. yeah, but it's a very important conversation to have, you know, about propagating it today. Well, it should so, be one of our food crops, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has the potential. Yeah. So, With a bit of breeding, perhaps. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking about it, because yeah. I think, you know, it's it's so good to hear that you're doing well with it. And where did you originally get your seed from? Virginia, of course. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> well, well, yeah, she, she had a contact who was working uh, down at Corrindirk, I think, and that's mm-hmm. I think that's where it came from in Healdville. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, that's really good. Maybe listeners will be uh, calling in to speak to Virginia. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, don't you, know you, that you, she'd have a continuous supply of no, it. No. No, I won't. I won't. Uh, I'm starting Suggest to raise that. it for the nursery, so there'll be plants around at my mm. place. Oh, fantastic! I think yeah, I think it should be widely distributed. Yeah. yeah. Have you tasted? No, not yet. 
Not yet. It's meant to be really tasty. Yeah. You can eat it raw. <laughs> is it <laughs> it's a bit quite like, delicious, yeah. A bit like potato? No, no. It was, no. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I'm confused. Uh, Murnong tastes like chestnut. It's it's oh. a it's a it's Have you a had it, Jack? yeah. It's uh, a, yeah. It's similar to like if you've eaten any of the chocolate lilies or any of those things. It okay. does have kind of a kind of a little nutty tone to it. A bit yeah. earthy. Yeah, a bit earthy, yeah. but definitely worthwhile. Like a water chestnut. Yeah, it's similar. Yeah, it has that kind of tuberous kind of feeling to yeah. it. I'm, I'm sure someone would have a better description for that flavour. Sure. But definitely I agree with Craig. Like why yeah. not grow more of this? Yeah. And if, you, if you're looking like um, Bruce Pascoe's book, Dark Emu, does yeah. talk about some of these mm. cultivation practices That's that we've right. been talking about today. Yeah. And it's summer dormant. Yes. So don't be alarmed in the summer when your Murnong sort of starts going backwards. Yeah, yeah. very important point to make. Yeah. And don't start tilling the soil and, and yeah. dredge it all up. And, and you sow the seed in the autumn. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm, fantastic. Very well, easy. Mm. Well, everyone, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Emma Hurd, and with me in the studio are Craig Wilson, Jack Semler, and Jeremy Francis. Uh, please give us a call. On nine four one nine zero one double five, or text message us on zero four double eight eight zero nine eight double five. And I did get a call from Virginia. She wanted to let me know that there aren't actually plants available left over from last week's radiothon. So I apologise for that mistake. Um, I had them listed as available, but they're not. But as I say, please ring in and have a chat with our lovely. Um, producers because they'll have a comprehensive list of what is available without me mucking it up. (laughs) That's good. All those plants have found a happy home. Yeah, exactly. They haven't been languishing in our courtyard. (laughs) So, Jack, looks like you've brought in some things. Yes, yes, I have brought in. um, I love like getting a bit of a pop of colour or having those plants that flower during these cooler seasons. And so I brought in um, passion fruit marigold Mm. or it's called lemon marigold, Tajidi's lemon eye. It's got that really amazing fragrance. But I have to say that butter yellow colour at this time of year in my garden, I was busy, I'm busy doing a whole lot of replanting at the moment and changing some of my garden beds and just to have that colour is just magnificent. It's a beautiful cut flower and that that really, like it's just filling up the studio with that really strong scent. As soon as you start handling it. Yeah, as soon as you start handling it, I'm probably going to have to open the door. It's so strong in here. But I just love that colour during this year. It is beautiful. Does it dry well? I haven't dried it personally. I don't think it would dry super well Mm. you might be able to press it or something like that so it's not one to dry well but it's growing right against um, our house in an area that I don't even water and so it really demonstrate how resilient it is for our dry summer climates where Mm. we are at the top of the Mornington Peninsula and so if you haven't had a chance to grow it before it's a really delightful plant you can see it at the botanic gardens in Melbourne in the perennial border on the edges as well. And it's yeah. very easy to propagate. Super mm. easy to yeah. propagate. Seeds potting mix and it starts making roots. Yeah. <laughs> you just cut a little bit off, pop it in the ground. Yeah, we love those plants, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that's a wonderful, wonderful contribution to today's show because it's just so cheery, right, in mm. the winter months when there's not as much in flower. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Lovely. Yeah, and the warm climate, winter flowers are a bit difficult on the hills. Yes. Yeah. Um, Mine is not flowering. Yeah, yeah, and the salvias are the same, the winter flowering salvias, yeah. yeah. And if yeah. they do flower, they just look awful. Yeah. my yeah. I have a salvia leucantha, and that has one flower on it. <laughs> it's trying so hard, but yeah. it's also mm. extremely leggy. Yeah. You know? Not Which, enough light. Yeah. I'm also bringing in some news. Mm. Um, I am delighted to be doing an online masterclass series with Open Gardens Victoria. We've just put it on the Open Gardens Victoria website. It's all about flower fundamentals for home gardeners. We're going to have a series of four masterclasses that cover everything from planning and preparing how to have successional flowers and a whole lot of beauty and abundance of flowers in your summer garden. And probably where to plant things so that you can avoid them getting leggy like my salvia. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We're going to cover all different kinds of things through a series of four online classes. It's going to be one a month starting in August. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through preparation. We're going to cover propagation and cuttings as well. We're going to cover actually planting, establishing plants in your garden and care right through into February where we'll actually be looking at seed sowing. So you can come with me in my garden right through the seasons as we can grow some things together, plant them, and you'll get some sneak peeks of my Heartland Garden. You can come into my potting shed with me while we do some propagation. So it's on the Open Gardens Victoria website or you can check out uh, I'll be posting details of it on my Instagram at Jack Semler. So do check it out. I hope you're like, I love this time of year. As soon as we're past the shortest day, I feel like it's always that gardener's New Year's Eve. As soon as you pass the shortest day, you can feel the growing season coming. Yes. And I just, um, I'm really excited to be doing this. And, you know, because it's online, the recordings will be available for two weeks after each class. So there's that opportunity to tune in if you miss out on that original time slot. That's fantastic. And how much is that uh, for four sessions? So for four sessions, I think it's $170. But if you're already, yeah, exactly. But if you're already kind of, you feel like you're very confident in your propagation, you can just pay for a class. You don't have to do the whole series depending on your schedule. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm really excited. I've already started getting some seeds prepared um, at home. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for telling us about it. That'll be really good, especially for uh, people that are new to gardening, that are wanting a foundation of, you know, how to get into the spring season. Yeah, and there's nothing, there's no, like we know at 3CR, there's no bad questions. So Mm. it's going to be a really friendly environment if you want to get started in gardening. Sounds great. Thanks, Jack. Um, Yeah, what a wonderful thing. I do have another announcement. Um, our, our horticultural regular that's on the show, uh, Chloe Thompson, has recently released a brand new online video series. Uh, it's called Behind the Garden Gate on YouTube. Have any of you seen oh, it? That, it's so much fun. Yeah. I'm really going to tune in. I love having a bit of a peek into everybody's gardens. Especially so, private gardens yeah. that maybe 
some of them are too small to be with Open Gardens Victoria because uh, when you think about the number of people that go through Open Gardens Victoria Gardens, if they're, if they're small urban gardens, they don't necessarily have the room to accommodate visitors. But this is just a wonderful thing that Chloe's doing. Um, so these are five to ten minute videos and they take you behind the garden gates of private gardens. And for a good snoop around and to be inspired and learn a little bit about what these home gardeners are doing. So there's a there's a mix of home gardeners and some that are designed by landscape architects or landscape designers. Um, so new episodes are released weekly on her Been There, Dug That YouTube channel. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And is she, she's interviewing the gardeners, I assume? Um, in some cases, mm. um I think the first couple of episodes have been Chloe talking about the garden just herself, mm-hmm. um, but there will be some interviews scattered through, and sometimes it's interviewing the garden owner, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's talking with the designer. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, the first one that I've seen is really just lovely. She focuses on things that maybe you wouldn't look at entering a garden yourself. So it's just nice to see... Um, someone that really cares about the landscape, talking about it in such loving terms. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I think any kind of garden you can go to, you always learn something or you yes. get some beautiful spark of inspiration, whether that's a new plant or a different design technique. There's yeah. so much we can learn from other people's gardens. So I think this series is definitely something to check out. Super yeah. fun. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. So well done, Chloe. We we love your work. <laughs> So I see we've got some other beautiful plants that Craig has brought in. I think, is there a miniature fuchsia in the oh, mix Oh, the fuchsia there? baccalaureus. Yes. Yeah. Comes in a couple of colours and they're still flowering furiously in my garden. Yes, I do love, I have a fuchsia baccalaureus in my garden. And so you've got one that's hot pink and yeah. then you've got a very light pink the one soft there. pink one here, yeah. Gosh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And I have seen them as well, actually, more recently. People have been bonsaiing them. I don't understand that. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I, I can't say... It depends what you think bonsai is, I guess. Well, I can't I'm... imagine there's anything about the plant which would... Lend itself lend to... Lend itself to that art form. I tend to agree with you. So yeah. when I saw them, that's why I thought it was kind of remarkable. I was like, oh, who's doing that? But, Wonderful um, tub plant, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm and growing it in a green wall as well. Would yeah. be incredible. Yeah, 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 really pretty. They're yeah. babies at the moment, but mm. I've got a lot of hope for yeah. them. And they'll bring the birds into the green mm. wall, too, because the little honey eaters love it. And they'll drape so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, elegant form. Yeah. Is anything flowering at the moment? Is the handy yeah. for honey eaters? It's mm. a it's a low, suckering shrub. When I say low, one point five meters probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And suckers a bit. And it has a gorgeous uh, habit to it. So it, arching. It, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's a it's a great plant. If listeners were in the studio, they'd see me with my. My arm's out looking a li- little Emma's bit strange. <laughs> yes. yes, I know you can't see me, but I do these gestures anyway just for the fun of it. But, um, yeah, it's a beautiful plant. And, and look, it will tolerate quite a lot of shade, but it's, it's yes. best with a bit of light. Yeah, and still flower in the shade, which is yeah. really great. But, yes, a little bit of morning sun is great. Yeah, the species fuchsias are a bit on short supply. They're hard to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but again, it's something that propagates quite well from cuttings, mm-hmm. as do a lot of the fuchsias. 
quite well is an understatement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really easily. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. But I also brought in some of the casuarinas, and I hope Tex is not listening because he'll probably put me in jail. <laughs> <laughs> this is from the Arboretum, whereas this, there's this great arch It's only of, a small snippet. It's yes. educational purposes. <laughs> there is this great arch of cryptomeria, which I think is a... It's, it's one of the iconic hills plantings mm. and possibly the only good thing in the Arboretum. But if you walk behind these cryptomeria and you look at them, the, the north face of them, the winter colour is astonishing. Yes. Yeah, and this year particularly good, I think. Yeah, it's cryptomeria, uh, it's uh, Japonica elegans, isn't it? It's elegans, is it? Yeah. So it's not Japonica. Yeah. Well, Japonica variety elegans. Well, I, I, think I've, I think we've got cryptomeria japonica ourselves mm. and it's a, it's entirely different well i bet you'd hardly believe they're the same thing so i presume the elegance is a witch's broom from uh, japonica okay um but uh, yeah i know the planting it's it's spectacular mm-hmm. and, and hundreds of plants planted mm. in a it's kind of a contour strip really mm. And um, and it's a beautiful vista uh, and, yes. at this space. So and and the, the colours are – it's one of those conifers that changes colour from – It goes green. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, from season to season to yeah. season. Mm. And um, There are also some beautiful specimens at Nobilius Heritage Park. Okay. Um, they're, they're not in a row. They're individual specimens, mm. but they're nonetheless very gorgeous. And, and they colour up? They do. They colour, yeah. So I recommend listeners have a visit to both places because they're not far from each other. Mm. Um, and, yeah, definitely The, the cryptomeria Japanese cedar was what the Japanese used for making furniture. Mm. And uh, ship masts. Yeah. 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 My neighbours have some as their front hedge. However, unfortunately, they've, they've trimmed them to avoid the power line. So oh. they are like an S-bend. Like, right. no. It's such an interesting thing to see. But I think... What, even though they're they're kind of uh, mutilated yeah. by having been pruned, they're still such a beautiful form that testimony to the tree itself. It still looks kind mm. of cool yeah. and interesting. Mm. <laughs> there's, a, there's an old um, one at, at Yamina, which is the form globosa, which is a compact form, mm. and it would be two and a half, three meters, I suppose. Oh, that 40 is compact. Years. And he's, it's also an incredible plant. Yeah. Well, yeah. for reference, like when Craig says compact, compared to the the ones that we're talking about at the Arboretum, they're, you know, 30 metres. Yeah. They're compact yeah. is, you know, it's definitely a dwarf form. Yeah. 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 But it, yeah. I think yeah. uh, Japonica itself, it will get to, what, 50, 60 metres. Oh, right? huge yeah. trees. Yeah. yeah. There's one yeah. down at Periander. It's enormous. Mm. Ah. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and they develop that. Twist in the in the trunk yeah. when they get older. As you drive into the Crowd Hill Restaurant car park, there's a fairly steep ramp, and there's a couple of uh, Cryptomeria japonicas on one side, and then on the other side, uh, two Douglas firs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's my little joke. You got um, Eucalyptus regnans on the other side of the road. You've got Douglas firs, and just around the corner, there's a sequoia, sequoia dendron gigantic. So, so we've got the three tallest <laughs> trees in the world all growing within a few metres of each yeah. other. Yeah, what a at, at Long Acres, there's a big patch of Douglas fir, which Streeton planted 
for ship's masts. Mm. And, yeah, and then steam came in. So. Have you talked to yeah. Canadians? I'll say there are lots of Douglas firs in the old days, taller than any coast redwoods. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm yeah, quite the, glad they weren't turned into ship masts. It's beautiful. It's <laughs> yeah. the most beautiful planting. And, and, and Roger had it cleared with all, from the ivy and holly and all the other hills weeds. Mm. And we've gradually been underplanting it with tree ferns. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, it's working yeah. nicely. The Douglas firs... Uh, uh, well, I suppose the tops are slightly nondescript, but the trunks are amazing. It's incredible. Mm. And uh, that's that's how you see them growing in those those famous gardens in the, um, Oregon and British Columbia. Mm. Uh, you, you don't really see the tops at all. You no. just see this, these uh, repeated mm. trunks uh, just looking unearthly. Mm. Mm. Yeah, very gorgeous. And not something that you have the privilege of coming across in the urban environment. So, get out, get out yeah, to the hills. No, and no, you, you do need to go to the hills to see these yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do very well. They do. Yeah. yeah. We're very lucky with our soil, and yeah. and the fact that they've they've been untouched for years and years and years. Yeah. Yeah, untouched is yeah. I mean. Jeremy was talking about the uh, the Philip Johnson garden and the process of evolving it over the next 10 years. And that's such an important thing to do. And it's mm. something which is not done in Hills Gardens enough mm. where people don't review their plantings yeah. and remove and, and edit. And I imagine that's something you're quite passionate about at Long Acres. I would love to have an unlimited budget to do tree work. Mm, yeah, yeah, because yeah. they're all jammed up against each other, mm, never sure. been thinned. Okay. Yeah. I, I, we, I think last time we, we were sitting here, Craig, uh, discussing the deer problem, there has been a bit of a, uh, uh, an effort to, dare I say, um, reduce that problem which has been mildly successful in the last few weeks. Yeah, I haven't noticed that. <laughs> no, I haven't noticed a change. Well, well, my suspicion is we're talking about deer in the hundreds rather than the thousands in the hills. Mm. But, uh, yes, there was a program uh, for about th- three or four weeks. Um, that was at that, Sherbrooke Forest? Uh, well, in various parts of the hills. Okay. But, uh, um, yes, um, yeah, at a certain point it's it's... <laughs> uh, it's a tricky thing to discuss, but it's um, but the the population has been reduced by about a hundred. Okay. Yep. It's peanuts, I think. Yeah. Well, I, my suspicion is when when they were talking, when I was talking to one of the people overseeing the program, that uh, yes, yeah, most probably we're dealing with uh, eight hundred to a thousand deer altogether. Yeah. Okay. The problem is they can double their population every months. eighteen months. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so it's it's got to be a continuing thing. Yeah. yeah, I was at Long Acres on Friday and there's a, a row of um, Cornus Cusa, which I planted some years ago, and I'd taken the protection off them because they were big enough. Mm. And now well, I see snapped. the bark's all being chewed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's either they get snapped or they get ring-barked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so sad because especially if they're, you know, if they're snapped, you think... Well, that's that. But if they're ring-barked, uh, it's kind of a slow, awful yeah. <laughs> like yeah. observation to just yeah. watch and them. It's so time-consuming, yeah. you know. Yeah. Everything that you plant has to be protected. So yeah. it, 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 what is normally a five-minute operation becomes a 45-minute mm. operation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I must confess in my own garden, it has deterred me uh, from... This coming, like 
this season I would usually be putting in bare-rooted trees Mm -hmm. and I had done that fairly diligently Um, and the reason I choose bare-rooted is because at least they're not as costly as a potted tree Mm. so I feel like oh well if the deer get them well it's not that that big of a problem however I've been a bit deterred this year and I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to wait and see what survives from previous years Mm. because, yeah, it's it's never-ending with those deer. I've discovered dog wire, which is considerably cheaper than chicken wire these days. Mm -hmm. And that's that's proven effective? It's effective, yeah. Yeah. And I remember you... can't get their heads through it. I remember you saying that a boundary fence that's two fences about a metre apart yeah. is really helpful. Should work. Yeah. 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 Yep, they so, don't judge distance. Yeah. So one day I'll do a boundary fence <laughs> like that. <laughs> but, yeah, I have to save up first. <laughs> but yeah. What's happening at Long Acres lately? I'm bringing in the sort of the last frontiers of the garden in, into cultivation. So I'm working right down the back at the moment, putting a pathway in so that we can get into the back section of the garden. Wonderful. And then we'll get that planted up. And that probably should be done in Indigenous Natives, I think, because it's right at the head of a fern gully. Mm. Yeah, so that would be a bit like a a re-veg. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. that sounds great. Yeah. So that's one project. And then I want to do the front boundary too at some stage this winter along the road frontage. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see if we get to that or not. Yeah. You might be able to get in touch with council and see if you're eligible for some tube stock. Yep. Some native tube stock for yep. th- for that part of the part of the garden. I have to have a talk to you about that. I, yeah. What yeah. to plant. I don't want to put in any great big trees. Yeah. There's enough of them. Are there so are there mountain ash above? There is and yeah. blackwoods. Yeah, so yeah. kind of creating an understory. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well that sounds like an exciting project. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's a substantial piece of land. And, mm. um, how, how big is it, Craig? Six acres. Mm. Uh, that is colossal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, six acres in the hills really needs two or three people, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, let's have a working bee, Craig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we can come over. Great to have a working bee down there. Yeah. 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 Oh, and we'll and the, 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 the local land care group has said that the fern gully is actually in pretty good order. Yeah. Great. Well, get, yeah. let Surprising. the 3CR crew yeah. know. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll get involved. We'll get the track cut down there first so that we can get the, the ride on mower yeah. and the trailer in. Is it, yeah. It's kind of interesting. I think the fern, the fern gullies... Um, um, well, to a fair degree, they, they, their vegetation stayed indigenous all the way through. Yeah, yeah, they, they were just uh, often they were steep and just too awkward, and so they were ignored. And so there's a pretty high percentage of the initial pop, the initial vegetation still there, and pretty well all of them. Mm. What I've noticed lately is a big increase in the number of lyrebirds. I don't know if anyone else has noticed that. <laughs> no shortage of them. I, I, they don't come into my place, thank goodness, because they're you know they're like earth moving machinery. Yeah, <laughs> they do like those <laughs> big those big feet. They yeah. can really move big it around. Claws. Yeah, but they I can hear them now from all around me, mm. which is why I don't listen to three CR. <laughs> <laughs> 
in the early morning on Sunday, I can get the lyrebirds. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a privilege, isn't it? It's so a huge why not? privilege. Yeah. 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 And they make the funniest noises. They're like, hilarious, my favourite yeah. is when they do the chainsaw. Mm-hmm. And you can tell it's them, not an actual chainsaw, mm. but it's very funny. And they'll, they'll even mimic people if they've heard them, mm. which is very cool. I think one of them's got my roosters worked out. So. <laughs> Is that, are they crowing at They're interesting crowing. times? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's marvellous. Yeah, funny things. They are. Well, you I'm, wouldn't like them, Jeremy. They probably come in and scratch I've seen quite a few at Cloud uh, Oh, yes. Before. They're yeah. there all the time. And as people were walking around, you can hear live birds more often than not. Mm. Um, to go a day without hearing lyrebirds is really unusual. Yeah. Heaps of them. Uh, no, we we. I, the, 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 the one or two tricks. They um, they they're wandering around and they they like to go back to the same spot. And mm. So they if they if we see any disturbed soil, we we promptly put it back again and throw some leaf litter over it, and then they forget about it. But if you ignore it, the, then they they come back to it every day and have another go and. Mm. Uh, we, we had a neighbour with a sloping lawn that, and a lyrebird discovered there was something in the lawn that it liked and started in the bottom uh, right-hand corner and worked its way across the other side of the lawn and then, then went up a metre or so and then <laughs> kept on going. Over over two months, it turned an entire lawn upside down and this was a big area, <laughs> but there was not one inch of their <laughs> slope that had not been wrecked. It just turned into a collapsing pile of mud and uh, they they had to sort of uh, yeah, uh, rake it all out and reseed it the, mm. the, in the spring. Sometimes, I must confess, with the native wildlife, you have to seed the territory. Yeah, you absolutely. Have just, yeah. You have to just yeah. let them just be. just have to go with it. So they yeah. have right of way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they are one of the most extraordinary birds in the world. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're the original songbird. They're, yeah. they're, what, they're, what are they, over 60 million years old? Yeah. You know, the songbirds in Europe are only... Three, five million years old. And well, they can have the lawn. Yeah, That's fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I no, no, they're them. great fun. Yeah. And long acres, the wallabies have def- been defoliating the Daphnes, which, yeah, is a, is a bit of a strange thing to happen. Wow. But yeah. they can go for it. Yeah, our Daphne's yeah. been decimated, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was a wallaby. I think it's a wallaby because yeah. the deer don't eat them. Yeah, and this mm. is very close to the house, and mm. I've noticed that the wallabies do come very close to mm-hmm. our house, so... Which is fun and nice to see. But Absolutely, they're beautiful. And this Daphne was um, quite a leggy one, so yeah. it probably needed a prune. And, and they look, they're relatively unafraid. I mean, they'll mm. sit there and look at you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, very, they're very joyous to mm. observe. Um, another animal that uh, likes to destroy my plants is the little land yabbies. Okay, yeah. That um, live underground. Yeah. And they, yeah, sometimes I'll plant something... And it's obviously unbeknownst to me in their little burrow. Yeah. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, you see oh, they've kind of pushed the plant out, yeah. said, no, not here, <laughs> not in my home. So yeah, fair they enough. they have right of way too. They yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. So I find somewhere else and we move on. <laughs> yeah. 
I had the. I've been very lucky to be doing some travel recently, and mm. I I was um, I spent quite a significant amount of time in California, and the gophers like to actually oh. see plants disappear in front of your eyes. To <laughs> actually, yeah, you actually you see a little bit of movement of the plant, and before you know it, it's merging into the ground. It's just getting pulled down. <laughs> Off it goes. Oh, it's given me a new appreciation of of some of the plant of the pests that we have, or yeah. things that we would consider consider as pests or or different things for us to consider in our planting, yeah. just seeing plants like that just disappear underground. There's actually a video online of a gopher that um, a farmer has on his farm and he's set up like a wildlife camera and this gopher comes and he sits right in front of the camera and just eats this <laughs> farmer's crop and it's, it's like I know it would be uh, frustrating for the farmer but it's quite a charming video to watch. He's yeah. just anything that's growing, he's yeah. eating it. I haven't heard of land yabbies um, that like what you described before. That's really interesting. Yeah, well, I think they're actually they're lobsters. Um, are they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they are freshwater crayfish. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And they they live underground. It's a, it's a subspecies, is it? Or there's, yeah. You know, yeah there's two different species that are um, endemic to the hills. Right. That are not found um, anywhere else and they're considered uh, endangered. So that's, that's another reason why just let them have, yeah. their, have their space. But... We have them around our water tank. Yeah, mm. they yeah. love my polytunnel all around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They like uh, damp soil, but I mean, in the summer, I've seen them in quite drier areas, so they're just all over, which is nice. And they—you don't see them. You'll find them at twilight. They'll come out in the evenings, which yeah. is which is quite uh, fun to see them. And they—they—they they, they can get rather large around. 20 centimetres. I haven't seen one that big. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it depends where they are. Like this one that I saw was by um, Alinda Creek. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If they're down by the creek and I suppose they've got a good amount of food, then they get big. And constant moisture. Yeah. Yeah. That's the key. And this one was on the walking track. And I, I was like, oh, wow, what's that? It's sort of moving in the, in the dark and it's uh, snapping its, its claws at me. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a bit formidable, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. So your travels, Jack, tell us a little bit more. You were launching your book. Oh, yes. So I was very excited. So Super Bloom, um, a field guide for flowers that we released in Australia before Christmas last year. We It's been released in the States, in the Northern Hemisphere um, and in the UK as well, which is a real treat for an Australian author to get a book released in those areas. Mm-hmm. And so I had an amazing trip recently where I paired the time that it was released with some research and um, a chance to visit a lot of public landscapes and a lot of gardens. Um, I spent a lot of time in California given the climate compatibility with the dry summers and I was very fortunate to see the tail end of the super bloom which is that incredible flowering event that happens in um, that area of the world and it was amazing to see you know, hills covered 
in flowers, just that kind of colour spectrum that you get on the hills. And what what sort of flowers varieties are in the mix? Yeah, so there's things that we would be really familiar with, so with Californian poppies, obviously, Mm. but then also lots of chia, um, different chia salvias, uh, all different kinds of daisies, different wildflowers, lots of penstemons as well. So seeing some of those plants that we know as garden plants in Australia, actually seeing the species in nature in full bloom was amazing. It's in Southern California. Yeah, Southern California. Mm. And also I think seeing um, plants that we don't typically anticipate to be in a dry environment, so being in some of the desert areas of California and seeing you know, sweeps of delphiniums in bloom coming up through cactuses. So seeing those kinds of contrasts is not what you expect, <laughs> that, is that, it? That's, that's definitely startling. Yeah, exactly. So to see some of that was incredible as well as, you know, meeting different practitioners and meeting landscape architects and other people working in California and elsewhere in the States and the UK was was really amazing. I think it will be you know, an amazing kind of moment that we'll look back in terms of our practice. Yeah, so, so inspiring. Was that perennial or annual delphiniums? Uh, both, so both. different kinds of species, but mm-hmm. like a lot of their perennials were actually performing as annuals right. given that climatic yeah. kind of change. So that was really interesting to see them not performing as perennials <laughs> even though we know them to be so, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the lupins by any chance? Yes, um, I think we saw at least maybe 10 different species wow. of those desert lupins. And it's really interesting because I think like one of the reasons we went to California is because of that climate compatibility. Mm. And it's funny that, you know, that we do have like Russell lupins and a lot of those kinds of lupins in Australia when internationally there's so many other lupins that have more climate compatibility to mm-hmm. some of our environments as well. Yeah. That's wonderful. And, and would they be annual or perennial or both? And both, both, both. Yeah, both. Yeah. yeah, so just incredible, brilliant blue swathes of colour yeah. together with Californian poppies and other. Yeah. And I think just you see a lot of images around the super blooms and what really surprised me was just the diversity, like how many wildflowers were flowering at one time yeah. in that those dry, arid landscapes. And that's not the Sonora, is it? No, no. No, so it's not monsoonal desert. No, it was, yeah, it was just around the Carrizo Plains and the Anza Borrega down towards um, the Mexican border. Okay. Yeah. And what month were you there? I was there, my brain, so in May. Okay. And it was a particularly lucky time. It's very hard to time it. So they, they said that the wildflower, the diversity of it was like a one in a hundred year. And so very hard to time something like that. And did you have a little, a bit of time there where you saw things start and then start? new things, like some yeah. things finish and new yeah. things begin. Yeah. And also there's amazing resources if you do, if you are in um, Southern California around that time, there's the Thomas Paine Foundation, which is this amazing like wildflower resource and you can ring them up and they'll actually have like a little charming, like um little charming recording of where you possibly can go and what you can possibly see. So there's there's amazing kind of resources if you are in that area of the world. Californians are very proud of the diversity of their wildflowers and so it's it's an amazing thing to see. Fantastic. And so I imagine if if there is that pride, 
you got to meet some interesting locals. Absolutely. Really fabulous locals and a real interest in Australian flora as well. And even vi- visiting, um, you know, a nursery that specialised in Australian natives in, in there. It's And seeing things like Californian, in Californian landscapes like kangaroo paws and different kinds of calistamins. Obviously, eucalyptus has a, has a bad name over there, um, as a lot of the blue glums are now an invasive species. Mm-hmm. But there was, it was really interesting to see our Australian natives in different contexts as well. Mm, that's really encouraging. <laughs> we need to do the AGS. <laughs> yeah, tell me. Yeah, so on the 23rd of September... The AGS is having a conference in and the Dandenong Ranges. Just for listeners, the AGS is the Alpine Garden Society. Yeah. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, there's a number of events happening on that day. Um, I, I guess the, 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 the draw card would be John Mitchell from the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh, who is a collector and cultivator of alpine plants, um, particularly rare and endangered species. And he, he's talking about the process of bringing them from the wild into cultivation um, in terms of preservation. Yeah, that sounds like a wonderful subject matter. That's right, and and he'd be a very skilled horticulturalist. Um, Yeah, that requires some skill. And did you already say when it's taking place? 23rd of September. Okay. This this is a pretty ambitious um, program this year, Craig, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not something which happens. And it's not every all, year. All, all, mm. <laughs> yes, and it, right. they're getting Russell Lark from the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne, <laughs> to talk about Australian alpine plants, which it should be a good one. Yes, I'd certainly like to know a bit more about them. I have a few in my garden, but not enough. Yeah, well, I imagine you'll have a few more after the symposium <laughs> if they're <laughs> the available. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they'd be at the plant sale at Cranbourne or not, whether they do alpine plants. Well, once you, yeah, once you start to hear or develop a, a list of them, mm. you know, the, mm. kind of the fun is hunting them down, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah, finding yeah. the suppliers and, and getting to learn getting to know more about the plant. Mm. Yeah. I think it looks like such a fun program. Like I've been to some of the AGS talks before and they've always been so much fun and informative and yeah. just to be with other plant people. That's mm. right. And then there's, there's Jane Tonkin and, and in one of the afternoons there's a visit to her nursery, sort of behind-the-scenes visit. And you. And then there's myself and, and Matt Reid from Antique Perennials talking about woodland plants. Mm. Um, it's fantastic. They wanted to talk about design. Well, I'm probably a bit short on skill there, but I certainly need to be able to talk about cultivation. Well, I think because you work in places like Long Acres and your own garden, yeah. I mean, you have quite an intuitive sense for design, you know. Maybe. Maybe. Don't sell yourself short, Craig. I think you do. Yeah, absolutely. Every time I drive past your nursery, it's always looking Oh, the verge alone. It's incredible. It's so beautiful. And Aaron Condon, which is is doing a demonstration on building a crevice garden, and I think he could probably count the number of crevice garden builders on one (laughs) hand in Australia. True. And Aaron would be top of the list. Mm. Yeah. So that would be really interesting to see. Because he picked up that skill on the... Garden below us, um, retaining oh, about 300 metres of those paths, the top side of those paths, yeah. in the, the old uh, Range View Gardens. And uh, boy, oh boy, that was about a two-year exercise. By the end of it, he was pretty good. 
Yeah, he's he's good with rock. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it does sound like a wonderful lineup. Is this taking place over a couple of days? One day. Oh, one day! Wow, yep. it's going yep. to be uh, jam packed. It is. It's, it's quite a full program, and, yeah. and you, obviously, you're not going to be able to do all of them, so you can select yeah. which, which event you want to go to. There's also a visit to Viv Condon's garden. Um, She's an extraordinary gardener mm-hmm. and horticulturalist. You're very, very skilled. And whereabouts is she situated? Sherbrooke. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I think the trick is to <laughs> jump online, check this yeah. out, yeah. And, and don't don't waste a minute. Yeah, we you could also. They're also <laughs> doing a um, virtual online viewings as well. Oh, that's great. If yeah. you're not in the area, yeah. you're yeah. in to stay. That's right. Or Brilliant. even if you're overseas. Yeah. Like, what a, what a great thing. Yeah. Well, do you know how much it costs? Um, or maybe we can just direct people to the website. I think so. Yeah. yeah you got five options for the afternoon workshops. Mm. And in the morning they're having um, a discussion on woodland perennials and, and, and this um, Edinburgh Gardens. Well, I yeah, I definitely would direct people to check out the Alpine Garden Society's website. And we must move along because we've got a caller. So we've got Bernie from Langwar and Salvias. Hello, Bernie. Hello, good morning. How are I'd you? I'd like to ask a couple of questions, please. Please. Salvia, when should I cut them back? And how hard should I cut them back? I think in the spring when they start growing. Yeah, generally speaking. Spring, but not winter. Yeah. No, leave them alone in the winter. Oh, you're in Langwarren? Yeah, yeah. Yes. If there's um, if they're herbaceous ones, you can cut them back now. Yep. But I agree with Craig and oh, Jeremy. The shrubby ones. Yeah, and the shrubby yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah. If you if they're shrubby ones, you can definitely wait until spring. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I always uh, find that if you, you cut them back in the winter, what do you they mean can... by shrubby ones? Ones that grow real tall. Yeah, the ones that grow real tall. So there's there's mine um, are about um, oh. Point eight of a meter, I suppose. Yeah. So there's two. So when we talk about herbaceous um, salvias, we're talking about the ones that go dormant, that die right down to their base, and then re-sprout in spring. And so those oh, ones yeah. you can cut back now. But the ones you're describing, they sound like a shrubby kind of salvia or semi-woody. Um, you can definitely in in spring cut them back by a third, if not more. If not yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. But you, if you cut them in the winter when they're dormant, they they run the risk of spilling mm, the dummy. Absolutely. Yeah. And the yes. other question was, please, and thank you for that, red-hot pokers. Um, I've managed to chop a couple off of a, a big, um, well, not my son did, but, um, uh, and I want to um, plant them. Should I cut them back? Yes. Yes. Yeah, they cut back quite well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just to tidy them up. Just you, how, you just how need you I just need twenty twenty centimeters of green and the yeah. roots. Yeah. So you uh, cut and them take right the back. Off, of course. Yeah. I assume it's winter okay, cheer. So, it's the uh, big we, winter one. Yeah. So how how um, hard should I cut them back? Very. Yeah. Sorry. Very okay. hard. Oh, what about four or five inches? Yeah, that'll be right. And some okay. roots, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That, oh, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And what'll All happen right, is they'll shoot. They'll shoot right around the edge of the piece that you've cut back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bernie. Okay. 
We also have some text messages. So we've got um, one from Chloe says, I used to grow Murnong in my veggie patch at my old place. It was dense and self-seeded happily. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that might be Chloe Foster. So, or, or maybe just a, a, a listener, Chloe. Either way, thanks for letting us know. It's good to hear someone else doing well with it. We've also got a text from Janine. Uh, Hi, gardeners. Could you please say the name of the cream flower Jack was speaking about? Uh, so the, it's a, a yellow flower, but a, but a yellowy flower. It's yeah. a perennial um, marigold. It's called Sometimes it's called a lemon marigold or a passion fruit marigold commonly. Mm. It's, it's Tajidi's lemon eye. It might be butchering the Latin. Lemonia? Uh, Limonia, limonia. I think it's fine. Um, so, but definitely, a, you know, a beautiful perennial marigold. It's got an amazing um, scent to it. Mm. And, um, you know, especially in a temperate climate like where I live, um, on the Mornington Peninsula, it's flowering with gusto at this time of year. Mm, beautiful. Thanks for texting in, Janine. Um, we've got another one from Paul in the Inner North. Hi, team. I require some serious expert pruning advice. After being ill last year and unable to do any fruit tree pruning, I now desperately need to cut an apple tree in a metre-wide tub back from four metres tall to half the size. How brutal can I be? Can it be halved or less? Can it just be cut to the bare bones? I'd be really grateful for your help. Cut away. Yeah. Yeah. Just make That's sure you've I'd got say. clean, sharp secateurs. Yeah. And, and look, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of sealing big wounds these mm. days. Yeah, with some yeah. with some steri prune. Yep. And feed it. Mm-hmm. If it's in a tub, particularly. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think advocating for harsh pruning, in a, especially with a tubbed fruit tree, is actually a good thing. But you, you, you will need to thin the shoots because where you cut, you'll get a multiple of shoots around each wound mm-hmm. and you uh, need to reduce that back to one or two. And that will happen in, in not this spring, the yeah, following. Yeah, it will happen this spring. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's relatively quickly. So that's something to be aware of. Yeah. And you can do the pruning now. Now's a good time to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Any yeah, other apples thoughts? love pruning. Any other thoughts, Jeremy, Jack? I agree with what Craig said. I think yeah. definitely go for it and, and definitely that steri-prune can be really useful when you've got massive wounds. You know, you don't want that mm. area to be start rotting or anything like that. That's right. Yeah. 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 Especially or if you're using... back down the trunk Exactly, yeah. and then you can lose the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're using your saw, sometimes those wounds can be a bit more frayed than, mm. than mm. as clean as you'd like them to be, which is not ideal, but, yeah, do try and keep them clean as possible. Mm. Yeah, find tooth sore. Yes. Yeah, mm. get a pocket boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love my pocket boy. Yeah, that sounds like a good tool. Where where do you get a pocket boy from? Online. Mm-hmm. Arbor Green. Yep. Yeah. Add that to the shopping yeah. list. Yeah. yeah. It really does fit in your pocket. It's terrific. <laughs> Even better. And it, yeah. I imagine it folds so it's it nice folds. and safe. It folds. Yeah, it's Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love their pruning yeah. saws. Anything right. with a Japanese blade, I'm, I'm on it. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for that. And thanks for messaging in, Paul. Um, I think that's all we've got in the lineup. Um, yeah, so we can go on and keep chatting. What other lovely things have we got to talk about? 
I brought in a whole lot of bergamot. Um, I love this time of year. Like I always feel like during winter you can have that beautiful kind of time where you change plantings, you're moving perennials, you're dividing perennials. It's such a great time of year to kind of think about what your summer garden dreams are going to be and I know like for me it's been like it's that perfect time to get more plants into your garden but so many more plants out of it as well Mm. like it's it's just really yeah editing the perfect word I just love this time of year for the garden even though it's been quite wet been out there um with the layers on like just thinking about the summer to come yeah yeah It's actually, I mean, I think that my garden's erupting. Yes. At this time of the year. I mean, there's bulbs just coming through everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not dormant. You feel that momentum, don't you? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It gets the excitement starts to build. Yeah, South Snowdrops. So they they actually appear in in May. Uh, but uh, but they're all lurking right now. Well, rather they're they're just really building up right now, and and uh, they'll be at their best over the next three weeks or so. This is our wee side. Yeah, yeah, largely those yeah. Uh, have a bit of Nivalis as well, and yeah. they're, they're they're a little bit behind the Helwesia. And they're they're happening at Cloud Hill. Oh yes. yes. So, so whereabouts do people? Well, we go? we have them underneath the the two big uh, weeping maples, mm-hmm. and the uh, right at the end of the main axis, the the two big beech. We've been moving Elwesia down there, and mm-hmm. the lyrebirds have been kicking them all over the place. <laughs> so they're, yeah. they're looking more and more natural, and uh, and they, they they do extremely well extremely for us. Well. So they they uh, over the next three or four years, there's going to be a, a huge area just uh, which we're leaving to snowdrops. Yep, oh, and fabulous. the snowdrops you move now. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're best moved over where they're growing. Mm. Um, and I imagine you can get lots of snowdrops from uh, Tonkin's bulbs. Yep. <laughs> That's a good place. Yeah, look, I have half a dozen varieties in the nursery at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah, they, they're good. I think it's good to buy them potted mm. um, because they like they don't like being... Tampered with during their dormancy. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. Yeah, and I've seen them in a Melbourne garden, particularly Elwesi, naturalised mm-hmm. under deciduous trees. And they're a lovely thing for little pots as well, aren't they? Yeah, Where you can really enjoy them when yeah. they come into flower and move yeah. them into different areas. For a smaller garden, you mm. don't have to have you know a huge drift of them because they're just they're a very nice thing, as you say. Yeah, have that little beautiful spring moment. Yeah. yeah. I must admit, I've always seen them underneath deciduous trees and shrubs. That's right. Yeah, they, they're a woodland bulb. Yeah, yeah, and mm. they they uh, really need cool soil, and they mm. uh, they yeah. you know they're dormant in the summer for sure. Mm. But yeah. all the same, they like the the soil to be a bit cool. Mm. The, the, the thing with Melbourne gardens is to get the bulbs in deep, so that the soil temperature oh, is consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And they can go down really deep. Oh, great! Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Got some more text messages. So, uh, I've got one from Tim. Found places to buy the seed and pots of Murnong. Just ordered some. But you don't tell us where. <laughs> well, it's good that Tim's having yeah. some success. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, That's yeah, a thanks, Tim. That's Go, Tim. Yeah. Make sure you feed them, Tim, because they love fertiliser. Yeah. 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 It's often the uh, misassumption with um, 
Australian plants, isn't it, that they don't need fertiliser and they really do. They just thrive with it. I grow Banksia as bonsai. I mean, I feed them like crazy. Yeah, yeah, they really respond well to a good feed like we all do. Yeah. 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 It's it's something that gardeners don't do enough. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I've been reminded to hand out the office number, which is 94198377, and that's for ongoing Radiothon purchases. So if uh, you haven't had the time to call in during today's show, um, you can call in throughout the coming week. Um, They're open Monday till Friday, normal business hours, so you can still purchase uh, items that we've talked about on the show. And you can listen to the podcast of the Radiothon, which was last week's show, and there you'll hear a lot of the items that were available. So if there's something that takes your fancy and you're not sure whether it's still available, call into the station and um, they'll give you all the information that you need. Um, We've also got another text from... Uh, Greg Siegel, hi, Gardening Show. Please reintroduce the show and yourselves. All right, I will do that. Thanks, Greg. Uh, I'm Emma Hurd, and with me in the studio, we've got Craig Wilson, Jack Semler, and Jeremy Francis. There you go. Sorry, I haven't been mentioning our names frequently enough. Um, Another text message. Thanks for giving the Collector's Garden Conference a plug. Website is www.agsvicgroup.org. So that's all one word, agsvicgroup.org. Or Google Alpine Garden Society Victorian Group. Because someone else texted in and said that if you Google Alpine Garden Society on its own, uh, you get the British group. So That's not I'm surprising. Sure, yeah, I'm yeah. sure you do. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. Alpine Garden Society Victoria. Yes. So that's just a distinction to make so that you don't get led astray and book a ticket to some other great conference in Britain yeah. and then realise you have to book a ticket overseas. It's a big, serious <laughs> international organisation, the AGS. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they have lots of great information on their website too, but please check out the Vic Group. Um, and then we've got a text message from Jonas. Dear Gardening Show, what areas are the earth yabbies and lobsters in that I was mentioning? Okay, so I'm based in Alinda and they're within the Yarra Ranges. So you'll find them in the hills areas. In damp yeah. spots. Yeah. Damp spots. Uh, volcanic soils, uh, yeah. I think, largely, or, or silt soils, yeah. uh, soils that have washed down alluvial. on the edge of streams. Yeah, alluvial yeah. soils. Um, yeah, so softer soils. Um, you, you, I mean, everywhere else people associate yabbies with crayfish with water, mm-hmm. but uh, in the hills they can move away from water a little bit and you just yeah. find them in spots sometimes hundreds of metres from their nearest surface water. Yes. Which obviously been there for a the while. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're quite impressive to see and they're, they're not something you come across... Uh, easily, necessarily. So mm. you will have to go on, on a nice walk near a creek, yeah. I'd, I'd recommend. You see the little piles of dirt. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. spot their holes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely see signs of them. Um, but, yeah, actually spotting them in the flesh is a little bit harder. Mm. Um, I've also had a text message come in and ask me to repeat, repeat uh, Chloe Thompson's YouTube page, which is um, Been There, Dug That YouTube channel. 
So you can view her new um, show, Behind the Garden Gate, via her YouTube channel. So, yeah, highly recommend checking that out. Um, and we've been asked to repeat the plant names to give callers a chance to write them down. So I'm not sure which plant name specifically, but we'll endeavour to do that as we continue on. Um, we've also got a call from John Bentley, so I'll welcome... Hello, John. Hello, everyone. Thanks oh. for being patient. Oh, that's OK. It was only a couple of minutes. We uh, All gardeners are pretty patient, aren't they? <laughs> I like to think so, yes. <laughs> OK. I was wondering if I could move some of the conversation westwards of the Yarra Valley and the Mornington Peninsula, if it's possible. Um, we have a, a Western Region Garden Clubs conference that we're hosting, but it's open to anyone, and that's on Saturday the 26th of August, commencing at 10 o'clock. And uh, we've got Jane Edmondson, our patron, speaking, Simon Ricard, and Professor Tim Entweisel is talking and theme for the whole day is dry climate gardening and um, if you want to register for that the best thing is to always just go to our website and at the top of the page is a link to the pdf for the registration form so that's just friends if you google that friends of the melton botanic garden or fmbg both of those will come up easily in google and so on the sunday we're also um, hosting guided tours in the garden. The plant nursery will be open from 10 to 1. And um, the Lions Club of uh, Beckett's Marsh are bringing their train. So there'll be tours across the whole garden, uh, sitting on the train for a gold coin donation. And the Rotary Club of Melton are running a sausage sizzle. That sounds like such a great time out and such a timely topic as well to really give people some thinking around dry climate. So I think I'd definitely be penning that into my calendar. Mm. Yeah. And then the, um, the, the, the Sunday, uh, or even visiting the Melton Botanic Garden, will give you a really good idea of a whole range of dry climate plants from um, Australia, South Africa, uh, South America, Mexico, and the Mediterranean region. Yeah, the Melton Botanic Garden. Like, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if everybody realizes what a diversity of plants that garden has, and, and really just on our doorsteps as well. So worth a visit. Yeah, we really appreciate you calling in and letting us know about it, John. No problems at all. Okay, and look us up on Facebook and the website and things. Yep. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. Great. Bye. Bye. Have a great Sunday. And we have another call from Robert in Mitcham. Hello, Robert. Yeah, hey, good morning, all. Hey, good morning. Good to stay. Uh, a question to Craig about that uh, miniature fuchsia he was talking about earlier. Yeah. At, uh, I've got a grandson up in Ballarat with uh, beehives, and, and he's uh, looking for some winter flowering uh, things to have in the garden, apart from all the roses he's got that aren't flowering all that well at the moment. Yeah, I think the bees would work it. I'd be surprised if they don't. Did, uh, could you give us a, a name again? Uh, Bacillaris. So B-A-C-I-L-I-R. Yeah, I can, I can work that out. <laughs> yeah, is that right? I need to write it down. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
Gently suckering out. Yeah. Easily Sorry. pruned. Easily pruned. Yeah. But, uh, any similarity to the, the old, old, old fashioned fairy one that used to be in everyone's garden? Yeah, that's Magellanica. Yeah, but it's smaller. Even smaller. Yeah. But, uh, the, the bees handle it quite nicely. Mm. But, uh, there you go. That, 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 Ballarat's not a problem for it. Don't think it would like frost, but you probably wouldn't get frost where you grow it anyway. It depends. Does your uh, garden get heavy frost? That's just up in, up in Ballarat. Yeah, Ballarat would get frosts. That's certainly gets frost. Yeah. 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 But, but, but you grow it in the shade garden, so... Yeah. Yeah. That's all right, all right. But... Other than that, just does just to say to Craig that uh, a couple of our daughters are thoroughly enjoying some white daphnis we got from up, up here. Oh, that's great! Um, yeah. Smelling very nice. We've got a spray of it here in the room at the moment. Yeah, the white daphne is the best perfume. It, uh, it's very good. Yeah. Anyway, thanks again to everybody for a great show. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Robert. Have a good Sunday. Yep. We've got more text messages. This is what often happens on the show. We're galloping to the end. Um, Tim messaged back. He said, Bunnings, hello, hello, plants for pots and for the seed, uh, edible Oz. Google Murnong and they'll all come up. And he says to Craig, yes, I will feed it. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We've got a question for Jeremy. Um, Do you offer tours of Cloud Hill? Ah, <laughs> I do for for uh, groups, sure. so fifteen or more, and and we're, we're yes, we might extend that. I think. Uh, and I imagine yes. so, you can email. Uh, yes, so just get in touch, um, and uh, um, I, I just need to get something into the diary. But we, so far, we've been trying to aim for fifteen, fifteen to twenty-five people. That's a that's a good number. Mm. So yes, yes. That sounds great. Well, please get in touch. Um, we've got a question um, about Melianthus major. Um, yeah. It says, sorry, I'm just tracking it down. Um, mine are looking just fantastic in Mount Eliza and they're about 1.5 metres tall. Do you have to cut them back or can this, uh, can Rosie just let them do their thing? You can cut them back, but it's I've found from trial and error definitely not cutting them back during really wet periods of the year can be mm. um, important to kind of keep in mind. And also sometimes because, you know, the Melianthus major, so the honey bushes is commonly known, an amazing foliage plant, incredible flower spikes, definitely such a wonderful plant to kind of garden with um you can also do like a bit of like sometimes they get such an ex you know significant size and quite uh, a moment in the garden is that you can actually just partially prune some stuff out to encourage some rejuvenation and then rather than doing a big massive cutback but um you can also do a bigger cutback um as it warms up as well anything else you'd like to add about um, they- this major yeah, look, uh, yeah, cut back in the warmer weather yeah. in the in the late uh, le- mid to late spring. There is a dwarf form, blue oh. haze, which is just stunning, and oh, and, and that, that stays that to to below yeah. uh, waist height. It's it's uh, knee to waist height. Hmm. Um, 
So that that's that's one that's just starting to appear around nurseries, but yeah. it's just brilliant. I mm-hmm. sourced one from Antique Perennials. Yeah, Antique and Perennials. growing that at Heartland yep. and mm-hmm. the beautiful – it's just a little bit lower. If you don't have as much space in your garden to fit in a Melianthus major, it's just a bit more compact mm. and has a bit more of a blue-purplish tinge through the foliage. Yeah, quite a lot more compact, really. Yeah. Yeah. I've mm. seen Melianthus major up three metres high. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that one definitely needed a prune. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> Yeah, that's great advice. I'm sorry to gallop ahead, but we've not got much time. So one last text message. I have a daffodil in terracotta pot. They're flowered the first time, uh, the first year and not last year. Wanting and waiting to see what happens this year. Looking healthy, but no sign of flowers. They're in the sun and I did fertilise. What do you think, Kate from Northgate? I think um, definitely fertilising, especially around this time of year, it's really wonderful that you have fertilised. Um, those bulbs, especially if they're all packed into a terracotta pot, they'll often, like, especially through all the water, they'll leach all of the nutrients from the potting mix from mm. that fertiliser. So regular feeding, especially this time of year as they head into flowering, I mm. think that's probably what I'd advise. That's what I'd say. I'd say yeah. that the, the, the feeding them while they're going into dormancy is nonsense. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. I agree you with that. You feed them while they're growing. Yeah. Yeah, and well, a lot. Yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah. Thanks for texting in all our lovely listeners. Um, that's all we've got time for this show. So a big thank you to our producers, Susie and Matt. Thanks to Liz for doing our socials. And thanks to Craig Wilson, Jack Semler and Jeremy Francis for sharing your time and your love of all things gardening with us. Finally, thanks to our listeners for tuning in to our 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Emma Hurd, and it's been so lovely talking gardening with you all. Cheerio till next time. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.